Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil this is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be, has been before. And God will call the past to account. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab your seats. My name's Alexis. I'm one of the lead pastors here. I don't teach regularly, but I am very excited and honored to be leading you guys through today's teaching. Let's just pray together. Lord, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, we welcome you here this morning. We give you thanks for the air that you have given us in our lungs. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. All honor, glory, and power are yours this morning. We thank you, God, that you are meeting with us today. We welcome comfort. We welcome conviction. We welcome transformation and renewal of our minds. We ask that you'd speak to us through the scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In any given conversation, be that with friends or at a dinner party or maybe on a break at work, somewhere in it, a reference to time will likely be made. Man, I can't believe it's March 2023 already. Or, oh my gosh, where did February go? Where has the time gone? Steve Miller sings that time keeps on slipping and John Mayer wants to stop the train of time. Time is the most precious commodity we have, and yet we never really seem to have enough of it, do we? It just keeps on moving, and sometimes it's at this painfully slow pace, and other times time, time moves so quickly that we're not even sure what hit us. 
I remember talking to my grandma in the last year of her life, and she was commenting on just how quickly time was moving and the pace at which humans were, were moving. And she said, I, I literally, I just can't keep up anymore. If you were to ask any person in this room, I think we would all say that the longer we live, the more quickly time goes. We are all on this pilgrimage of time and its cadence changes, but it never stops and neither will our pilgrimage through time until the very end. Our teacher, Koheleth, this morning, he turns poetic in our section of verses, describing the various cadences and seasons that we all experience through the pilgrimage of time. He says, verses one through eight, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Kohela's poem establishes this cadence. It's like a clock beginning to tick. Do you notice how there's a rhythm to it? I have in my mind this imagination of it being this three, four waltz. And it's, you know, it just has this like flow to it, a time to be born, a time to dance, this waltz. But then right as you kind of get stuck into the pattern of it, it changes and then it goes back. And so too with our life, there are specific time signatures that we all live within. And that journey is our personal pilgrimage of time. It's as if the background soundtrack of our lives is this beautiful waltz that sometimes we all know doesn't feel so waltzy. It's like this constant tick of another second that passes and into the next. And within this cadence is the full spectrum of human emotion. Isn't it an incredible gift, all that we get to experience in this life? Just think with me for a moment. As image bearers, we are the only part of creation that can perceive and feel things. We have consciousness. We have emotions. Even consider our five senses, taste, see, hear, touch. We've all had that moment when we've taken a bite of something that literally blows our mind, and all of a sudden there's this rush of endorphins, and we feel so good simply from taking a bite of something that is incredibly delicious. Or we can hear a song or a melody, much like this morning, where it's just incredible and it moves us at this soul level that we're actually moved to tears or we wanna smile. We also have eyes that can behold beauty every single day. The ocean, a sunset, a beautiful piece of art, a person. So too, we can smell something that brings to mind a specific memory or a specific person that is related to that smell. For me, every time I smell finesse shampoo, I am reminded of the eighth grade on a mission trip that I took. That specific smell actually takes me to Vladimir, Russia, where I'm sitting in a tiny hotel room with my best friend. Smell, it's incredible. And what about the sense of touch? Did you know that hugging releases the hormone oxytocin and can literally shift our moods? 
Oxytocin is also linked with our sense of closeness. So every time a, a husband and a wife or a couple kiss or embrace, their bond is strengthened. Do you guys understand what I'm getting at? As humans, we can feel and know love and joy. We can cry and laugh in response to things we experience. We can consider things intellectually and ponder their meaning because we are image bearers. We live the full spectrum of human experience. We interact with it, and this is a gift. Within this spectrum, God has clearly set and established times and moments, or as Kohelet says, activities under heaven for every single one of us, from life to death, to human emotion, to loss and love, to grief and celebration. All of us are on a pilgrimage set within the cadence of time. But what is the point of it all? Why didn't God just make us like animals? We didn't need to have consciousness. We didn't need to have the full spectrum of human emotion. What is the gain for us? Koheleth considers this in verse 9 through 10. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? And then he says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. In light of this pilgrimage that that we are on where the time is always moving and the clock is always ticking, we have to ask, are these set times and experiences in the human existence really worth it? Do they really serve any purpose? Especially because we all know that there is the wonderful in time and there is also the horrible. And further, most of us find ourselves at the mercy of a hurried and a frantic pace of life. So when you put it all together, it can often feel like life is more of a heavy burden than a joy-filled existence. Koheleth goes on to say in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Now, I think it's important that we acknowledge the elephant that's in the room, or at least for me, when I was studying this text, I was like, okay, that, there's a big elephant here. When Koheleth says that God makes all things beautiful, that word carries the idea of being proper or fitting or right. Some English versions actually say that God makes all things appropriate in his time. Now, if God makes everything beautiful and appropriate in his time, then how are we to reconcile the burden that we have to carry in this life? What about war and hatred and pain and suffering that we all witness on our phones and we experience in our very lives. Is that actually appropriate? Are those things actually beautiful and right? If God establishes time, how do we reconcile his goodness when bad things happen within it? Wrestling with this long spiritual dilemma is actually called theodicy. And theodicy asks the question, how can God be good and all-powerful and bad things happen in the world? Or to make it personal, how do we continue on our pilgrimage with Jesus in this life, taking the next step, when we know that within the cadence of time, there's going to be hardship and there's going to be suffering and there will be loss? And how can we reconcile his love and goodness in our lives when these things happen? We can't sugarcoat the human experience. This is where many people get hung up. You can't sugarcoat how one child is born into a loving, warm home while the other child is born into an abusive home. 
You can't sugarcoat how one person can die from cancer and another person can be healed from it. This reality makes it so difficult to reconcile divine goodness in the face of evil. This is the elephant that many can't look past. The fact is the human experience holds love and it holds hate. It holds joy and it holds sorrow. Peace and war, life and death. But it is in these places that God and his mercy can be met. The gospel is where we find our answer. Jesus is God incarnate who entered life and death for us. He experienced loss and he experienced gain. He took war and suffering into his literal body as he hung on the cross for our sin. He absorbed abuse and injustice in every horrific act that we can think of. And I don't want you to rush past that. Literally, he took every horrific act that we can think of into his body. And this is why we can trust him with suffering. Jesus actually suffered with us, but not only that, he promises that one day he's going to make everything right. He is the God of comfort and compassion, and he promises that we are not alone within the cadence of time. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and through the seconds and the minutes and the hours and the days of our life, every moment is a moment to encounter this God who became like us, who suffered with us and made his dwelling with us. Tish Harrison Warren in her book, A Prayer in the Night, says, when Jesus ascended, he did not simply leave us with a token to remember him by until he returns. He promised to keep working. He sent his Holy Spirit to his people. The promise of the resurrection is also that Jesus is still at work today in our own lives, in the present tense. So we wait and we watch for the coming kingdom when God will finally set things right. But we also wait and watch for glimpses of that kingdom here and now. And so friends, there is pain in this life. We all know it. We've all experienced it. But our compassionate God is working and he has given us his spirit to navigate the here and the now. Our God ensured that sorrow, pain, and death will not have the final word by giving his life for it all. Okay, now moving back to our text, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Now, Koheleth is not saying some warm and fuzzy and positive phrase here. We all usually read this verse that way. He's actually speaking to the frustration of having an understanding or a longing that there's more to our existence than just this life, but it often eludes us. Notice what he also says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So in other words, we can't grasp or understand it. We can't hold on to it. And so this creates within us a relentless restlessness. Now think back with me for a moment in Genesis 3. God said, most simply put to Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you do, you will what? 
Yes, you will die. But the serpent said in Genesis 3, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now consider with me, eating the fruit opened Adam and Eve's eyes and gave them an understanding and a knowing that actually brought their harm. Walter Kaiser Jr. says that within each human is a deep-seated drive, a compulsive, excuse me, a deep-seated drive, a compulsive drive, excuse me, to know the character, composition, and meaning of the world and to discern its purpose and destiny. So on one hand, the drive to know things is good. We have science, we've been able to go to the moon, we have medicine, and we have philosophy, all because we are driven to know. But when we are driven to know everything, that will drive us mad. Humans have a God-given need and a demand for understanding and knowledge, but because we are the created and not the creator, our capacity for understanding and knowledge is limited. Now, just to be super clear, I'm not saying that learning new things and pursuing education or reading new books is wrong. But things become maddening and frustrating when we begin demanding knowledge and answers that put us in the seat of God. We are finite. So this demand to know and actually drives us crazy because it will never be clear. It's like smoke. It's Havel, as Kohela says. And still... Even when we know this, we actually try to take God hostage, if we can actually do that. We try to take God hostage with our demand to know. But as one Old Testament scholar says, the creator will not let the creature be his equal. And not only this, it is impossible for the creature to be the creator's equal. Just as much as we have consciousness to enjoy this life's pleasure, there's also a deep awareness and consciousness that there's a veil over our eyes and our hearts that limit our ability to understand what God is doing and how he is working. This can drive us to rest in God's infinite wisdom, but it can also cause us to resist it and to war with it. But this resistance is like literally punching fog. We're swinging punches into nothing. And this fogginess highlights the restlessness that is in all of us. Have you ever experienced an incredible moment that just captured your heart and yet it didn't truly fulfill? In other words, it gives you this glimpse of something that's so wonderful, yet you can't really grab hold of it. It's like it's slipping through your fingers. I feel this way a lot, actually. In moments that should make me feel utter joy and completely at rest deep inside, I have this nagging feeling that I'm not experiencing what I should be to the fullness. I'll be with my family, laughing, having a great time, and living what Jesus would actually probably call the abundant life. And yet in the deepest parts of me, I have a relentless restlessness for more. Deep within, I'm always aware that clock is ticking. Moments are passing. It feels like sand through an hourglass. It's going to come to an end. This is longing. And the parts of me that want to stop that time and be lost in that sense of joy and togetherness and ease are tainted by the fact that I know that there is more that I can't take hold of. This relentless restlessness reminds me that this place is not my home. I'm on my way, the pilgrimage. 
Of course, God has given me incredible people to live my life with, and he's given me incredible gifts, but no one and no thing can satisfy the desire that I have and my heart's longing for my true home where I will experience Jesus in his kingdom in its fullness. Henry Nouwen speaks to this pilgrimage in his book, Bread for the Journey. He says, going home is a lifelong journey. As we walk, we often realize how long the way is. But let us not be discouraged. Jesus walks with us and speaks to us on the road. When we listen carefully, and we discover that we are already home while on the way. Nouwen is speaking to the already but not yet reality of Christianity. We catch glimpses of God's kingdom in our lives and our relationships, but we have yet to experience the complete fullness of it. Sheldon Van Aken speaks to time and longing in his incredible book, Severe Mercy, while he's grappling with his wife's death. And I'm not, that's not a spoiler. You need to read this book. It's incredible. Right from the beginning, you know his wife has died. So he's grappling with his wife dying. And he says at the end, time suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we were created for eternity. Not only are we harried by time, we seem unable, despite a thousand generations, even to get used to it. We are always amazed at it, how fast it goes, how slowly it goes, how much of it is gone. Where, we cry, has the time gone? We aren't adapted to it, not at home in it. If that is so, it may appear as proof, or at least a powerful suggestion that eternity exists and is our home. Every day for the past three weeks, I've been praying this prayer from the app Lectio 365. And this prayer has been especially meaningful because I've experienced a lot of change in the last year. People have come and gone, and I've endured death and hardship that has been very difficult for me to reconcile. And all of it has highlighted this longing that I'm talking about. The prayer says, Lord, I recognize a relentless restlessness within my soul, calling me onwards and upwards and into yourself. And so I set my heart upon pilgrimage today, my feet on the road, and my eyes upon you. The longing or restlessness or this need to know and understand is not God toying around with us or dangling something, something in front of us that we can't grab hold of. This restlessness that we each experience is actually our call home. It is a call to keep walking and to set our eyes on him. And if we're to do this well, and if we're to get to the finish line to our death with our faith intact, then we have to yield to mystery. Verses 14 through 15 says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. It's so interesting how in a matter of a moment or just in one day, how direction and trajectories and mindsets all at once can be changed. We've all experienced that. You get a call that suddenly like your whole life path has changed. Never have I wanted stability more than I have in the past five years. And yet things keep shifting and changing. I've cried over this. I've worried over it. I have been so anxious about it. I've resisted it. But... Time keeps having its way. And the more I've come to terms with this, I've begun to notice the subtle tectonic shift happening in my soul. 
Now, are you guys familiar with tectonic shifts? I'm going to give you a little science lesson, even though I'm not a scientist, but I'm going to give you a fun science lesson. Tectonic shifts happen because of heat from radioactive processes in the Earth's core. Now, living in California, we all know that this can actually be really scary and a devastating thing. Or, as we just recently saw in Turkey and Syria, this heat can bring massive destruction and loss and death as it causes tectonic plates to shift. But hear this, researchers actually say that tectonic activity is the hallmark of a planet that is working deeply in places we can't see. They say that the unseen work in the Earth's core is essential for making the Earth habitable. Further, tectonically inactive planets are actually considered dead planets. So in other words, while the shifting of tectonic plates on Earth is terrifying, they are proof of life. The heat deep within the Earth is moving the mass on the crust of the Earth. That is all signs of health. And so to connect this idea to our souls, what we tend to think of primarily as danger and death, our Father has designed for our flourishing. The tectonic shift that I've been experiencing is a hallmark of that deep work that is happening in me in the deepest places of my heart and soul. And God's word in his work is active and alive, and it's changing my life. And sometimes it brings about this massive purge and shaking, and I can't stand it, but sometimes it's imperceptible. And this shift is essential in all of our, our lives, and it's necessary for flourishing. Have you ever considered that the things we hold most dear, the things that we cherish and love most deeply, have like a sense of heat to them? In other words, if we were to assign a temperature to the things that we love and desire and long for, the temperature would be red hot. In other words, outwardly, we could be experiencing thing in this cool, things in this cool and comfortable way, but inwardly, if we were to truly pay attention, our hearts and souls are hot and fiery. And this hotness in our soul is essential for our very life and well-being. And though at times it can cause plates to shift and eruption to happen and even death of the false self, this soul level heat brings tectonic shifts that actually make way for a habitable soul for the spirit to work in and through. It's revealing a soul that is truly alive. And God is in control over all of it. What he does will endure forever, and that which he appoints within time will happen, and nothing can change that. And so the invitation this morning is for us to yield to the God who assures that he's working all things together for good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. The appeal this morning is to surrender and trust to the God that promises that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The ask this morning is that we yield to mystery. We yield to the fact that God is working in unseen ways at a soul level, and one day we will all finally be home with him and all will be made right. In Revelation, it says, his dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, when we surrender to mystery within the cadence of time and whatever it gives, we find greater purpose and meaning and result for eternity. And because of this, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's good news. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, remember we yield to mystery, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Yielding to this eternal mystery is actually what makes Christianity joyful on this pilgrimage of time. We are able to see beauty in the everyday, regardless of our circumstances. And though time is moving and the clock keeps ticking and we experience that deep longing and restlessness within us, we can find that living within the bounds of time is actually an incredible gift. And so as we make our pilgrimage through time, I want to encourage us all to heed the words of Koheleth and more importantly, Jesus, who left eternity and entered into our time-constrained reality that we might dwell with him in time forever without end in his kingdom of love and beauty. Let's stand together and read our liturgy. All together, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.